0: And welcome to Linux Action News, episode 208, recorded on September 26th, 2021. I'm Chris. And
1: I'm Wes. Hello, Wes. Let's do the news. And we start this week with a story that seems rather straightforward on the surface, but no doubt will represent a major engineering effort at Canonical. Users still running on 14.04 LTS, old trusty tar, released back in April 2014, We'll now have until April 2024, that's up from 2022, to finally make the move to something more recent. (laughs) Wow, Wes. 14.04 is a
0: different era of Linux. Like, we're talking, like, the last upstart era. That's amazing, but yet... Doesn't surprise me there's still plenty of people running that one in production,
1: but that's not the only one getting extensions. No, 1604 Xenial Zerus, which dropped into extended security maintenance in April of this year, has also been bumped from April 2024. To April 2026. I'm struck
0: by this because a it's canonical clearly responding to a market demand which tells you <laughs> there are people out there that need this. It also makes them more competitive in this enterprise space and it gives a lifeline for Ubuntu admins who have other things on their plate besides upgrading their server operating systems. But to get access to these future updates you're going to need to be an Ubuntu Advantage subscriber which is free for limited personal use or Ubuntu community members, but otherwise requires an ongoing subscription.
1: That's an important point, but not unreasonable, I think, for enterprise deployments who are depending on this stuff to keep working.
0: Yeah, and subscriptions for support, super common in the enterprise space. And I think it's good for server admins that are still using 16.04 or 14.04 because at this point, it's significantly tricky to do the Big leap upgrade, like going from 14.04 to 20.04 is a massive upgrade. And admins have to do that math of trying to do the intermediary updates. So they'd maybe have to go to 16.04, then 18.04, then 20.04. I mean, talk about a production nightmare on a server that's doing things that you depend on. And so this gives them more time. It allows them to focus on things like all the work from home load that's been created. And I would guess they're they're likely now going to punt this problem Until the next LTS comes out, which is going to be Ubuntu 22.04. (laughs) They'll just probably wipe the slate clean and go to that LTS.
1: I mean, if they haven't upgraded by now, I don't know what makes you think they'll ever upgrade. (laughs) Maybe they'll just beg for more support. Well, this week, Google gave us some news on something kernel developers have been begging for. During the Linux Plumbers conference, we got an exciting update from a prominent member of Google's kernel team on his project, the Generic Kernel Image Initiative for Android.
2: My name is Todd Chose. I'm the kernel lead for that project.
1: And Todd is helping lead an effort to get Android using a vanilla upstream kernel one day.
0: Mmm, yeah. And with Android 12 and Linux 5.10, based on the Android Generic Kernel Image, which is also known as GKI, Todd reports Google has cut down on the out-of-tree patches to an extent that it's been nearly eliminated.
2: Um, we have the the what we call the generic kernel, which is really the core kernel minus, minus modules. Um, and, and the big focus has been to get all of the SOC hardware-specific code out of the core kernel and into separate modules so that we can get it as clean and generic as possible. It seems Google's motivation for taking this
0: project on is focusing on reducing some Major technical debt that they've built up over the years, and really just trying to get everyone in the Android ecosystem on the same technical page and make these devices more supportable.
2: What actually ships on an Android device in the past has been a device kernel with changes that come from the Android team and and from a reference kernel that we maintained, and then changes from an SOC vendor, and then changes from an OEM. And so the kernel that actually ships on a device is very custom for that device and, and uh, uh, very different from the upstream version of Linux. And they're making good progress on the
0: GKI front and also ensuring that vendors adapt to this new approach to cut down on this kernel mess that
1: Google created with Android. Yeah, I don't think any of us are really surprised that this way of building the Android kernel for each and every device has ultimately become unsustainable. So the fact that this problem exists now is not really news to us. But what is a very pleasant surprise is to see just how much progress Google has actually made in addressing this. And where it gets really interesting is their outlook for 2023 and 2024 for further reducing that debt and getting even closer to upstream.
2: 2023, 2024 we believe that we'll start reducing debt faster than we are accumulating it. And the goal, of course, is to get as aligned with with upstream as we possibly can. Um, though, since out-of-tree modules are really important for our use case, we do expect that we'll always have a set of exports um, and some things that are, you know, that are different or in, in addition to to what's upstream. But, this whole project is a multi-year project working towards getting rid of as many out-of-tree patches as we possibly can and aligning as much as possible with Upstream.
0: So, while it seems like the nature of the Android beast is such that we might not ever have a truly vanilla Linux running on our Android devices, it is going to get really close. And that will be good news for both Linux and
1: Android users. And the good news continues because it's not just about resolving that existing technical problem debt todd said that going forward google are going to pursue a quote upstream first development model for new features making sure new code first lands in the mainline kernel rather than being shoved in the android kernel without upstream review
0: yeah and longtime listeners of jupyter broadcasting know this has been in the works for years And it's pretty much just exactly in line with what the Linux kernel team have been advocating the Android developers do since basically day one of Android.
1: And while this is something that we have been following for a long time and are clearly rather excited about, Android end users probably won't notice much other than hopefully a better support lifecycle for their devices. When Valve announced the Steam
0: Deck, it was pretty quickly noted that one of the major barriers to full Windows game compatibility was anti-cheat software. Packages such as Epic's well-known Easy Anti-Cheat are free for Windows game developers to use, and there seems to be a lot of incentives for those developers to use those packages. But these same anti-cheat systems prevented games that would otherwise play just
1: fine on Linux, perhaps under Proton, from running at all. This week, Epic officially announced full support for Linux including native builds that support Wine and Proton. Though, it should be noted, game developers do need to do a few steps to support the new version and update
0: their games. Yeah, hopefully they do that,
1: since it sounds like it's very
0: little effort on their part. In fact, looking at the documentation, it literally reads it's, quote, just a few clicks. (laughs) But in addition to Epic's news, BattleEye also announced, along with their existing native Linux support, They're also issuing an update to
1: support Proton, and they specifically called out working on the Steam Deck. And just like with easy anti-cheat, developers will need to opt in to this new Proton support from BattleEye.
0: Yeah, it really is truly hard to convey what a significant development this is for Linux gamers. I mean, assuming game developers update, this is massive. And Valve, as well as both companies for Epic, and BattleEye have confirmed that this will work on all Linux desktops. It's not just a Steam Deck thing. It's a Steam client thing. I just personally hope we see the Destiny 2 developers update their game. I think their are BattleEye anti-cheat. Um, I'm not holding my breath, though. And I think that's what's going to make or break this thing, Wes, is individual developers stepping up and putting at least the minimal effort in to supporting these new anti-cheat updates. And, of course, that's going to be significant for the Deck as well.
1: Yeah, here's hoping things continue to go well. And actually sticking with Linux gaming and Steam just for a moment longer, Valve continue to release upgrades to the Steam client with more and more tweaks for Linux users. Liam over at gaming on Linux caught some of the interesting changes in the recent release, including improved startup speed, more robust game save via cloud sync, and some fixes for remote play. Among other things in this release, though, There's new support that landed for Pipewire. How about that? How great
0: is it to see Valve support a new core technology like this? And one has to wonder if this is because SteamOS is now based on Arch. But that aside, it seems that Valve has truly enabled Pipewire desktop capture support by default on the new Linux Steam client. That's huge. And it also means early support for Pipewire is going to enable better and improved performance on Wayland desktop. So those of us that are out there doing remote play, game capture, and other AV features on Wayland should have a better experience now. But it's just really great to see this land before the deck even ships. It's starting to look like a lot of things are lining up so that the deck is is really well positioned software-wise when it hits the public's hands.
1: We've been keeping our eye on CentOS land watching for significant developments to report back to you. A few days ago, AlmaLinux announced their AlmaLinux container images are now fully Red Hat Enterprise Universal Base Image compatible. With the announcement of CentOS's transition from legacy-style releases to stream, most of us have been primarily focused on the traditional OS model. But containers are where a ton of business applications are run now. If you're not familiar with RHEL's UBI containers, it's not quite a full operating system, but it's more than just a base image. Actually, you get three base images and also a set of language runtime images to build your applications on, as well as a set of associated packages that satisfy most common dependencies. And that's why it's a pretty essential milestone for Alma Linux to be offering a compatible alternative. It really makes their CentOS alternative offering more of a complete ecosystem and not just focused on the standard distro replacement.
0: Linode.com slash LAN. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account, and you go there to support the show. So it's Linode.com slash LAN. And then you go there and you're off to the races, kid. I'm telling you what, 18 years Linode's been doing this. And they're independently owned and independently financed. Think about how huge that is for your personal confidence in the future of the company and their mission. They've been doing one thing for 18 years, making cloud computing excellent. They've focused on simplicity, affordability, scalability. And this has led to the best-in-class experience. And I mean it. But something fun you can do with Linode and that $100 60-day credit is why not go try out Alma Linux and Rocky Linux at the same time? They've got images for Alma Linux 8 and Rocky Linux 8. In fact, I think Linode has some of the widest and best Linux distribution support. I mean, even if you want to run that crazy SUSE Linux, they got images for that. I kid, I kid, I kid. They also have one-click deployment, so it's really easy to get started with, like, Jitsi if you want to replace Zoom or NextCloud. If you're ready to get rid of Dropbox or other closed file sync solutions and want to control it yourself, go check out Linode. It's fantastic for our infrastructure, and it can be fantastic for yours. And their pricing is 30 to 50% less than the major cloud hyperscalers out there, and they have so many great features you're going to love. On top of an easy-to-use, powerful cloud dashboard, they have S3-compatible object storage, they have cloud firewalls, DDoS protection, VLAN support, and a powerful DNS manager, Kubernetes, and so much more. Additionally, Linode's always investing in their infrastructure. That's why they became their own ISP, that's why they have AMD EPIC processors in their high-end CPU systems. And now, with their block storage, beautiful, brand-new, super-fast NVMe PCIe storage. Oh, it's so great. And they're always doing stuff like that. And, you know, Leno could also be part of your multi-cloud strategy, something to consider. 66% of companies are looking at a mix of cloud providers to help reduce dependency, I guess you could say, on the duopoly that is establishing in the cloud market out there. Leno can be a key part of that. And you can save money and have more reliability, and have more leverage. It's a pretty great opportunity, and go try and experiment with that $100. Why not? Go see how much you can get done with Linode. They've been around for 18 years, and they're a big supporter of community initiatives as well. Some of your favorite open-source projects and podcasts are backed by Linode. So sign up today at linode.com slash LAN. Get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account, and support the show. linode.com slash LAN. This episode of Linux Action News is also made possible by Ting. .ting Linux.ting.com. Go see how much you could save and then take 25 bucks off of that. Ting's secret sauce is truly they didn't have to dig the holes and put the cell towers up themselves. They're a mobile virtual network operator. That means Ting gets access to all of the big carrier networks, but at a way better rate. And they can add great customer service on top of that as a customer what it means for you a great mix of plans and coverage at better rates with way way superior service like i'm talking the interface to manage your account you could basically do everything you would ever need to do with your ting account through their website and the customer support is the best in the business and the nice thing about ting is they got a mix of different networks so it's it's very likely you're going to be able to find coverage wherever you need and you can contact their customer support and tell them hey i'm going to be going in this area so i need I need a SIM card that works the best for this area. And they take care of it. It's so simple. And every plan gets access to the LTE and 5G coverage. So lots of data you can go through if that's your thing. They also have plans for those of you who are very data savvy. You'd be surprised how much you could save. Uh, I mean, they have like their, their Ting Set 12 plan. It's 35 bucks a month. You get 12 gigs of data and unlimited talk and unlimited text for 35 bucks a month. Like if you're savvy with syncing your podcasts and your music before you jump in the car or something like that, that's a great deal. But no matter how much data you need or maybe you want a family plan, they've got stuff that's going to cover you. I mean, they've got plans for everything. That's why it's so great that it's simple to switch to Ting because pretty much any phone will already work since they support a ton of networks. So just go try it out and get started. You go to linux.ting.com. You check your current phone out. They got a really nice UI for that. If everything's looking right, you create an account, you pick the plan that's right for you. Ting will shoot you a SIM card, you pop that in your phone, and you're going to get activated in minutes. And once you get all set up, be sure to check out the Ting blog. They're always posting about giveaways or tips to use the network. It's so simple now with Ting to cut your phone bill in half. There's no reason you should be paying so much for wireless anymore. Go see how much you could save and then take $25 off of that. And you can support the show. That's linux.ting.com. There's never been a better time to try Ting Mobile. I can say that because I've been a customer since 2013, and Ting just keeps getting better. Go support the show and see how much you could save.
1: Linux.Ting.com Gnome 41 was released this week. It's the second release to use Gnome's new number versioning scheme. And while perhaps not the big change that Gnome 40 was, there are still plenty of improvements packed in. Gnome Software Center received a considerable amount of attention this time around. Nearly every part of GNOME software was polished or improved in some way, including a new visual overhaul with significantly improved application listings.
0: Oh, Wes, the new GNOME software application listings look so much better now. They've added what they call context tiles to app pages that, well, they just give the user more information about the device support, the permissions it might need, age rating if you care about that kind of thing file size, which I always care about, and more. It's all just really displayed in a clean, easy-to-read format. along with that kind of stuff, you also get a list of available add-ons if your app has them. So, like, say, GIMP might have a bunch of plugins you can install from GNOME software. They all get listed right there on one page, so you can install your app and all of its add-ons now in one go.
1: Outside of GNOME software, the new multitasking options are nice to see as well. You can now toggle off Gnome's hot corner for the activities overview, something I know a lot of you out there previously used an extension to achieve. On top of that, they now let you tweak the settings for resizing applications, and what happens when you slam them against the edge of the screen. Also nice to see is some settings that you used to have to dig around in Gnome tweaks to find. Those have been moved into the multitasking settings, things like choosing between fixed and dynamic workspaces. And I know you were really happy to see this one added, Chris. New options for how workspaces behave when you have multiple monitors. We
0: really wanted to see this. This is, this is great. It was a major pain point for some with the transition to GNOME 40 and the new horizontal workspaces. Now users can choose if workspaces are only on the primary display or if all monitors have workspaces. That's great. And one of the significant areas of improvements in GNOME 41 is the power mode feature. The early version of this was introduced in GNOME 40, but now in GNOME 41, it's like a premium feature. Power modes can now be quickly changed from the system status menu, which I used to have to install an extension for. And nice to see this, too. They will automatically enable the power saver mode of power modes when your battery runs
1: low. Support has also been added for applications to request a specific power mode, something that maybe a game would do because it really needs performance.
0: Yeah, or maybe your video editor. And a nice little quality of life aspect of this feature is power modes are sometimes disabled. Now stick with me here. They're sometimes disabled depending on your system's hardware support. So sometimes, like in my case of testing, they were temporarily disabled because of a thermal issue on my laptop. Or on some systems, if you just don't support it at all, they won't show up. They just won't show up in GNOME settings. I once saw a warning during my testing that said they will be disabled, power modes will be disabled until you put it on the table. You got to get it out of your lap and put it on the table. I don't exactly know why. I would assume it had something to do with airflow. Another time I was told that power modes would be disabled until the temperature of my laptop was down to safe levels. And honestly, I think that kind of makes sense. I mean, I don't want to turn on performance mode and cook my laptop, but just, I mean, personally, I think it was great to see the GNOME developers
1: play around with this deep level of integration with the system. That's kind of like the new mobile network settings, which also only show up when you have hardware that supports them. This helps keep the complexity down on systems that don't have, say, a fancy LTE modem. 41 also introduces the GNOME Connections app, which is an efficient tool that lets you connect to most remote desktop protocols in a clean, easy-to-manage UI. And 41 sees the introduction of Libidweta, which
0: lays the groundwork for a new approach to styling GNOME apps in the future and will have significant implications in GNOME 42. For more details on that, see Linux Unplugged 4.24. It's worth noting the new GNOME release also comes with significant improvements for developers, including a new developer documentation website, a major update to the human interface guidelines, new features in the Builder IDE, GTK4 enhancements, and really a lot more, Wes.
1: It should also be said that there are also the usual performance improvements and bug fixes to make GNOME faster, as well as more stable, reliable, and flexible, believe it or not. For example, the screen will now update faster on Wayland in response to keyboard and pointer input. The system-level multi-touch gestures are now more consistent and reliable. And a new default GL renderer in GTK 4 provides faster rendering and reduced power consumption. And finally, a major code cleanup has been carried out in Mutter, Gnome's window manager, which really should help improve long-term maintainability and efficiency. That's great to see.
0: It is, and it's always nice to address technical debt, as we talked about earlier in the show. I have to say, uh, this they nailed it. The new multitasking settings and options, really that addressed my major concerns with horizontal workspaces. And I bet a lot of folks out there that had concerns, this is 41's worth trying now. I think they they may have fixed it for you. I spent the last week in GNOME 41. And I think this is a fantastic release. If you're a happy GNOME user today, you're going to get even more of what you already love with GNOME 41. Yeah, it may not be for everyone, but if you want to get your hands on it, You're going to see it land pretty soon in Fedora 35, which will be out in about a month. That ships with GNOME 41 out of the box. But if you just can't wait, we've got a link to Fedora 35's beta in the show notes. And we'll keep an eye on that development and everything else in the world of Linux and open source. So be sure you go to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get new episodes.
1: And linuxactionnews.com slash contact for ways to get in touch. If you've
0: been thinking about an off-site setup, maybe like a backup offsite go check out self-hosted 54 for alex's ultimate offsite setup and my
1: homemade nest thermostat as for this show well we'll be back next monday our weekly take on the latest linux and open source news thanks for joining us and that's all the news
0: for this week